0: As Stephen said, well, I encourage you to quiet your hearts and your minds to hear God's word, asking the Lord by his spirit to open your hearts to understand that and to apply it into your lives. We're reading from 1 Samuel chapter 16 today, taking up again the account of David and his anointing, especially the choosing of David today. Begin in verse 1. And read through verse 13. Now the Lord said to Samuel, How long will you mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I'm sending you to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have provided myself a king among his sons. Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he will kill me. But the Lord said, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Then invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. You shall anoint for me the one I name to you. So Samuel did what the Lord said and went to Bethlehem. The elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, do you come peaceably? And he said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. Then he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. So it was when they came that he looked at Eliab and said, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at his physical stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord does not see as man sees, For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. So Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Samuel said to Jesse, Are all the young men here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest. There he is, keeping the sheep. Samuel said to Jesse, Send and bring him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. So he sent and brought him in. Now he was ruddy, with bright eyes and good-looking. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel arose and went to Ramah. Today we have the vivid account of God's choosing David to serve as king over Israel. But as you heard, this choice wasn't what we might call today a, a slam dunk It wasn't an easy thing because, as we read, Samuel looked first at David's older brothers. And as he looked at them, he saw men, men who appeared to have characteristics that that from his looking on the outward appearance, he said, these look like kingly men. But he was indeed evaluating them on their outward appearance, and God's words set him straight. In fact, he gives a standard which, which helps us to understand godly leadership in general. And all throughout my messages in 1 Samuel, one of the things that has motivated me in, in reading and meditating on this is, is the longing that we have for godly leaders. And we've been seeing some of the principles that come from that. More than that, we're longing for a king, and not an earthly king, but we're longing for Jesus Christ. So in in this vivid account, we have given to us, yes, some uh, very important principles for godly leadership, and we'll meditate especially on those, but I also want you to hear how these words are going to drive us to Jesus Christ, because God does look on the heart. That's going to have implications for uh, qualifications for godly leadership, but it will also lead us to some applications to you, for God looks on your heart. And as God looks on your heart, he drives you to look to Jesus, who is the one who evaluates and knows all things. So today I'm going to urge you and uh, exhort you to look to the Lord who looks on your heart let's start with the, uh, Samuel's mistake here a mistake that i'll 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 put in the in the words the, the worldly qualifications for leadership the worldly qualifications for leadership the Lord had rejected Saul as king over Israel and then the Lord came to Samuel and he sent him to Jesse because, as he said, I will provide, I have provided a king for Israel. My previous sermon on First Samuel, I pointed out that, that God is at work in history, that even though Saul rejected God and even though Israel had strayed and even though Samuel was, was grieving over Saul and he had lost hope that God never stopped loving Israel. God never stopped working in history, going to accomplish his purposes. He would and he did provide a king for Israel, pointing forward to the provision of Jesus Christ ultimately. So to fulfill this, God said to Samuel to go to the house of Jesse to anoint a new king. But as as the account says, Samuel was still afraid of Saul and the potential of his anger at appointing a new king. So God gave, uh, gave Samuel a reason to go, to, to take a heifer to the sacrifice and then invite Jesse to join you. Just so you understand what's going on here, when a sacrifice like this was was made, there would be a portion of the cow that would be burned as an offering to the Lord. But there would also be a portion of that that would be, would be made part of a feast for those who were there to celebrate that sacrifice. And that gave reason, it gave an opportunity for Samuel to be in Jesse's house and to be among Jesse's family and an opportunity to to do what God instructed him to do, to listen to that leading and to anoint the king that God chose. And so that's what Samuel did. In that time of family, Samuel begins to inspect Jesse's sons. Now, uh, maybe the children can imagine some of this. As you, as you think of what a king looks like, maybe you would be like Samuel, and you would look for someone who was, who was big and strong and maybe already had experience fighting in an army just like Jesse's oldest son, Eliab. And this is what Samuel saw as Eliab came before him. He saw, he saw a, a man, a man who was uh, the oldest of seven sons. And so if David is a young man, you have to start counting up. And so Eliab has got to be in his 20s, maybe even 30s by now. So he has age, he has experience, he is serving in the army, and Samuel thinks, Ah, surely this is the one that God has chosen to be king. This is the guy. Well, unfortunately, as we find out, Samuel was looking at outside or outward appearances, and even as I described Eliab and described some of the some of the worldly qualifications, they seem to be reasonable, don't they? They seem to be reasonable that it would be someone who is more mature, has been proven in certain areas, he has responsibility, he has experience in the military. Surely this is the guy. And is uh, as it appears, by God's correction, Samuel also saw that he was tall. And all of a sudden, when when I hear that, these these warning bells start to go off in my head. It's like, now wait a minute. Haven't we been down this road before? Remember, that's why Israel chose Saul. Because he was tall. Because he looked the part of a king. We have some tall guys in our congregation. Uh, I saw some of them nodding. Yeah, tall. That's that's a good qualification. (laughs) But God looks at the heart. Right? We're going to go on in a moment to consider God's qualifications for leadership. But before we do, let me just let's just pause and reflect on how Samuel adopted the wrong criteria, and I, I want you to reflect on that in a way that uh, that helps us understand how easily we can be led astray in thinking about what makes a good leader. We can think about that in a, in a worldly sense, where we'll apply it to the church also apply it in the context of, of those that you allow to influence you, to lead you. So it doesn't take long to look at the world to say and to see that, that the world values outward, outward appearance and image as what makes for a good leader. One commentator says, like Samuel, we are too impressed by things that can be seen with physical eyes and consequently we live in a world where physical beauty outranks spiritual depth and where success in business and in church tends to be defined in materialistic terms and where charisma is prized above character. Those are aspects of the outward appearances that influence our our thinking of what makes good leadership. We even have a whole class of individuals that we now call influencers. Do you know what an influencer is? It's someone who has developed a brand about themselves who is on social media and has gathered a huge following. And these men and women work hard to develop this brand and they work hard to look the part of someone who is successful, to say things in a witty way so as to have people come back day after day so that they can have more and more followers, and why do people flock to their social media accounts? Why do they have these, these huge numbers on Instagram? Is it because they have wisdom or godliness? Probably not. Sadly to say, we seem to follow influencers and government officials and Hollywood elites because of their appearance. Because of the brand that they have, have created. Because of their popularity and ability to sway lots and lots of people. Because of their physical beauty. Because of their way with words and so on and so on. This is leadership by outward appearance. And it is the worldly qualification about what is successful. And it can even influence the church. Leadership in the church is a very important subject. We follow Jesus Christ and the Lord has given to the church officers that will serve as leaders. And we read earlier some of the qualifications for that that will be part of the godly characteristics But the choice of leaders in the church can go astray if we begin to adopt the worldly qualifications for leadership. And I remember having a conversation with my sister, who at the time was in a different denomination, and and, and she was part of kind of a lay committee that was searching for elders to serve the church. And she was shocked at the process. I mean, literally shocked because they went through the membership of the, of the church and they began to list out those who were successful as doctors and lawyers and businessmen. They had made millions and surely these would be good leaders in the church. And she described one of the conversations where they said that, uh, that, that maybe that if we elect so and so as an elder who's very successful in business, that, that, that would, get him to come to church more often yeah that was uh, that was about her reaction as well they were choosing leaders based on worldly appearances and qualifications that may have appealed to the world but paid no attention to spiritual qualifications was merely the outward qualities and success, but the Lord looks on the heart, and you may be tempted in this direction as you seek for leaders. You may be tempted in, in thinking about those who would lead our country or lead our church, but I also want to warn you about this idea of the, those that you allow to influence you, They are leaders in your life. And so I'll ask you, what qualities do you look at for those leaders that you allow? What blogs, what Instagrams do you follow and why? Or maybe even more pointedly, what qualities do you look for in a husband or a wife? Are you being influenced merely by outward appearances And I urge you to be honest about that. I urge you to evaluate who and what is informing your values, who and what you are allowing to be a leader in your life. And remember that the Lord looks on the heart. Beware of those worldly qualifications for leadership. The text continues to describe how God chose David, which will lead us to understanding some of the biblical qualifications for leadership. We find that Samuel obeys the Lord. He goes on after seemingly uh, uh, coming to rest on Eliab because of those outward appearances. Samuel does listen to the Lord, which, which is right and good, and begins to, to look at, at the other sons because God had told him that the king would come from the sons of Jesse. So next comes uh, uh, Abinadab and then Shammah and then, and then four other sons, seven all together. But Samuel said of each of them individually, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And finally he has to ask Jesse, is this all there is? is isn't there anybody else? And Jesse says, "Well, yeah. Well, there, there remains the youngest, but he's out watching the sheep." Jesse's words say quite a bit, don't they? And, and 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 betray some of this attitude of the outward appearances. David was the youngest of his sons, and he was so far down on the list of importance that that he wasn't even invited to the sacrifice and to the fest to the feast that would be celebrated he was doing a job surely an important job but also a, a, a lowly menial job he was caring for the sheep So you think about your own family you may recognize some of how this works that uh, the older sons probably had had their turn watching over the sheep and as they grew in responsibility, they grew in different areas where they would uh, they would assume different jobs and now that they were older, they were likely taking care more and more of running the family and the uh, the, the affairs of their property. They come to serve in the army and so on. And the keeping of the sheep is passed on to, to the youngest. And on and on and down until, until David. And the brothers apply this in a way that, that, that looks on that job and looks on David with a, with a little bit of disrespect. Not just a little, If you turn later, and we'll come to this later, uh, when David brought food to them while they were serving in the army, they treat him as a little boy. They were men. They were doing a man's job. David, you're a boy. You go home and take care of the sheep. That disdain comes through by this aspect of outward appearance. But once again, the Lord looks at the heart and the Lord chose David. What was it that God saw in David? What was it that he was looking for? What are the qualities of the heart? What are the qualities of the life? What are the qualities of the man that God chose? Qualities that that, that we can Look to as well in this aspect of godly qualifications for leadership. We are helped in this by the fact that in Saul's serving as king, God critiqued him. And Samuel brought that critique to Saul in a way that will promote and help us to understand what the Lord looks at. So back in chapter 13 of 1 Samuel, you can read there that, uh, that God rejected Saul. This is the point where, where Saul had presumed to take the sacrifice into his own hands. He had failed to obey God's commands, and the Lord rejected him. And this is what God said through Samuel. You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now the kingdom shall not continue. For the Lord sought for himself a man after his own heart, and the Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Now in that critique of Saul, there are some very specific positive aspects that come through, don't they? God sought a man after his own heart, one who would rule the nation of Israel and lead them in a way that the Lord rules and leads. And in particular, God calls, uh, calls attention to, uh, to aspects of faith. Well, it's not named here, that idea of being a man after God's own heart, has embedded right in the middle of it a man who is dependent upon God in all that he does. It's a man who looks to God as savior and king and lives every day of his life in humble reliance upon this mighty God who shows us mercy. It's a man who understands that that God is ultimately the king over Israel and that he was a subject as well as an anointed ruler. And so would... Exercise that capacity of leadership, looking to God as the, as the one who is the law giver. And so his faith would also be a faith that is expressed in his obedience. And it's that point especially where Saul falls so far short. These qualities that, that are, are mentioned here are qualities that we have already seen that Saul failed in he was part of a covenant community but but that grace of god never touched his heart he could go through the motions of outward religion and do so adeptly but his heart was far from god and this was apparent in the way saul showed disregard for god's word for his commands for his worship And he did that over and over again. Saul and then Jesse's sons may have looked the part outwardly, but the Lord looks at the heart. And so when Samuel demanded that the youngest be brought, the young man who came in didn't look the part, did he? From outward appearances, he doesn't have a kingly look about him. Here comes David, a young man, fresh from the fields, seemingly, likely smelling like sheep and the sheep's pen. And uh, that doesn't smell too good, just in case you're wondering. The Bible describes him as ruddy. That's a word that means that he was reddish in his color, which, which likely is a reference to the fact that he, he spent his time in the fields watching the sheep, and so his, his skin was exposed to the sun. Now, it does say that he was, had bright eyes, that he was good-looking. But kingly? Not by outward appearance, not by earthly measurements or by the, the measurements that would say you've had lots of experience or successes. But God said, Arise, anoint him, for this is the one. This is the one. And Samuel did just that. He took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his family. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. I'll go on next week to consider this anointing that David received, both the, the physical anointing and the spiritual anointing. It, uh, continues to just develop uh, this character David so that we would understand his role and the representation of Jesus Christ. That's for next week. Today, I want to to go back to this idea of reflecting on these godly qualifications for leadership. Leadership in the church and uh, how this influences you as a Christian. So earlier I said that the leadership of the church must not be based on worldly wisdom or on worldly qualifications, that's the negative. On the positive side, earlier uh, we read 1st Timothy chapter 3 about elders and deacons. And there I hope that you heard and can see a completely different way of looking about looking at leadership. Paul gives qualifications that have to do w- with spiritual qualities, the character of of one that would serve as an elder or deacon is measured not by the successes of the world but by by qualifications that have to do with, with, uh, with humility and blamelessness and not being ruled by anger, not being consumed by the desires of this world. Those are inward qualities. And as we have prayed for a pastor for church planting in Oklahoma City, we've prayed for a man with such qualities. And as we have prayed for and continue to pray for elders and for deacons, for Stillwater, for Oklahoma City, we have and we will use such criteria. These that are given by God. And in other areas, too, as I did with the worldly qualifications, let me say again and urge you again to take time to evaluate those you have chosen to follow and to ask that question again, why have I chosen, why have I allowed, why am I following this person? What qualifications Appeal to me about this man, this woman, this blog. And if it has no redeeming reason, then why is it in your life? Look for leaders, look for those in your life that will demonstrate the spiritual qualities of leadership and follow them. For parents, you know well how the influence of, of others plays an important role on your in your children's life. Think long and hard and wisely about those that you bring into your children's life to influence them, to lead them. Finally, before closing this sermon. I must make the application that the Lord looks on your heart. The Lord looks on your heart, not on outward appearance. Our Savior, Jesus Christ, is... Uh, in a a really fascinating way, is one whose outward appearance is not something to look at. Do you remember what Isaiah 53 says of Jesus? As as Isaiah looks forward to the coming of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the, the mediator Jesus Christ, he describes him in this way, for he will grow up before him, that's the Lord, as a tender plant and as a ripe root out of dry ground. He has no form or comeliness, and when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. There are many in the world that look at Jesus Christ and despise him. And it may be that you are maintaining an outward appearance of being here at church and of some outward uprightness, but the Lord looks at your heart. He knows if you are despising this suffering servant who is Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. So one application of this is that the Lord knows your heart. And if you're looking for a savior that is going to give you lots of toys or lots of earthly success or that a brand new car, then you're looking at the wrong thing. You need to look to the Lord Jesus Christ who looks on your heart and you need to accept him as the one who bears your sins for that's what Isaiah goes on to say that he was wounded for our transgression he was bruised for our iniquities the chastisement for our peace was upon him and by his stripes we are healed all we like sheep have gone astray we have turned everyone to his own way And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the way of salvation. The suffering servant, Jesus Christ, is indeed our Savior. And the Lord looks on your heart. That provides an element of conviction and call to the unbeliever, but it also provides an element of of comfort and rest to you who are looking to the Lord. For there is another pitfall in outward appearances, and that is to think that that God requires you to be perfect, that God requires you to have everything together before he will accept you. But that's, that's not what he's looking for. He's looking for faith. He's looking for Christ in you and he gives that freely and you receive that by faith. And as you look to the Lord who looks on your heart, you can have confidence that he will never turn you away when you come to him in faith. You may come to Jesus no matter what your past is. You may come no matter your age. You may come no matter what that deep, dark sin is that you have hidden from everyone. You may come to Jesus and he will forgive you. He has promised as much. And he knows what has happened because he looks on your heart. You may have confidence then. You may have confidence that you may rest and a Savior who knows everything about you. Dear friends, I urge you that if you have not trusted in Christ, will you do that? Will you come to Christ, who has looked on your heart and knows where it is? Pray that you would be convicted of that call and come to Jesus. And dear friends, if you have rested in him, will you continue to understand that the Lord looks on you, looks on your heart, and sees Christ. Look to the Lord who looks on your heart. Amen. Let's pray. Oh God, we so easily fall into the temptation at looking to outward appearances. We do so in those that we have let become influencers in our lives. We have done so as we have looked at our own lives and tried to influence others and even to try to influence you. But God, we know that you are the one who discerns everything. You know our hearts. And so with humility, we come to you and say, O oh Lord, our hearts are not haughty. By faith, we say this, not perfectly. Our hearts are not haughty, O oh Lord, because we need Jesus, our Redeemer. And so we rest upon you, Even as a child rests in his mother's arms, we rest in you, not because we have done great things, not because of our righteousness, but because of Jesus Christ, whose righteousness has been given to us. Lord, thank you for looking on our hearts, for judging our thoughts, our actions, our motives, for giving us your spirit to repent of our sins as necessary and to receive and to rest in Jesus, our one and only Savior. In his name we pray, amen. We'll close by singing Psalm 27. All throughout this psalm, there is this confession of faith that the Lord is our light and our saving strength. And it closes with these really sweet words that that connect with this confidence that comes that God knows our hearts and saves us. The last stanza says, With patience wait upon the Lord. Oh, let your strength be great. And so let courage fill your heart as on the Lord you wait. Let's stand and sing Psalm 27 D.